You're listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Episode 3 starts now. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. We are here on a great Wednesday. Well, it's not really Wednesday, but we're recording today. And I am Justin Connors, and we are here for a new episode. And my co-host, Jamie. How's it going, Jamie? Not too bad. How are you doing, Justin? I am pretty good. Pretty excited for our interview tonight. Yeah, we have a, a great, great guest tonight. Tonight, uh, Jim Zub has been so gracious, so gracious to uh, join us. Um, is anybody out there who reads comic books from almost any publisher um, for almost any age has probably read one of his books. Um, he is a, a, an extremely prolific writer. Um, actually, this week he has six different books coming out from four different publishers all on the same day, which is a little bit uh, mind-boggling. But uh, really pertinent to to our interest in terms of the the, uh, the Disney-ish realm, he was the writer on the recent Figment line from the Marvel Disney Kingdoms. Um, so we're going to pick his brain a little bit about that, talk about Figment, talk about uh, some of the other stuff that he does, some of the some of the uh, the work he does online with with fostering young talent, which is really awesome. Um, and so, hey, Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys tonight? Excellent, excellent. So let's just dive right in. I mean, do you, I mean, do you have anything that you'd like to say up front? Well, as we, you know, when you did the introduction there and you were talking about the the six books, that is that is very strange. That is not my normal release schedule by any means. <laughs> I I've hope never had this kind of a release schedule. No, it's it's a really weird week where some books um, got delayed on release. Uh, from the printers and stuff like that. So it all just kind of careened. Yeah, it wasn't any sort of a plan to have all this stuff come out this week. But I'm, uh, yeah, kind of feeling the love, though. It's kind of nice. Um, you know, you work on these projects and you can't wait to see them on the shelves. You don't necessarily expect they're all going to collide at the same time. But that's okay. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's been, uh, yeah, 2014 was a very busy year. Yeah, no doubt. And, I mean, it's, whether or not they were all originally scheduled to release on the same day, it meant you were all, you were writing most of them around the same time, which is kind That's of crazy right. to be writing that many different things at the same time. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, I've been in, I guess I've been kind of uh, intensely uh, comic writing for the last five years. And with each, you know, year, I kind of learn a little bit more. And one of those things, I guess, is multitasking or, or just getting used to kind of segmenting off time to go, okay, this is when I'm working on this particular project, or this isn't working today, I'm going to jump over to this other thing and get some work done on that, or, you know, the the comic book creation process is sort of multi-tiered, where you're you're coming up with the ideas and you're pitching them, or you're, you know, you're getting a solicitation copy done for ordering, or you're doing proofing, or you're doing scripting, or you're doing, you know, all these different elements. So there's kind of always something to do which means that you kind of have all these balls in the air at any particular time, just juggling them. And um, it, yeah, you just kind of, I guess, break it down into these milestones. And then the next thing you know, you've got a bunch of stuff done, ideally, as long as you keep stuff moving forward. Yeah, that kind of, I mean, we'll get to figure it in a little bit, but this is just fascinating to me, the whole creative process, especially when you've got mm -hmm. so many balls in the air, like you just said. Like, So, I mean, I, I've heard you talk before and I've read some interviews where you, and you just said it now, where you, you kind of break things up into little bite-sized manageable chunks in order to just keep moving right. forward. But, I mean, you write you write for so many different kinds of books for different different audiences. I mean, you write everything from like Red Sonja and Conan all the way to like Samurai Jack and, and you know, like for not really kid books, but for a much younger audience. Right. So, I mean, how do you, sure. how do you not only keep all those things straight and, and, you know, and you're at different stages of each project, but how do you keep that mindset of, okay, I'm writing for, this is a, a mature book for an adult audience, whereas this one has to be for a much younger audience. Like, how do you just keep all that straight as you work? Um, I don't know. I, you know, the, the term you just used there where you're like, you're kind of taking on a role. I think in, in many ways, you, you know, when I sit down to work on a particular project, it's like getting yourself in a mode, you know, it's like, it sounds kind of weird because it's not exactly acting. But there is an element of, of kind of role taking on a role in there where you're sort of like, okay, this is, I know it sounds strange, but it's like when I was working on Figment, I was, 
I was pretty happy all around because it's a very, you know, boy, like boisterous adventure kind of a story and, it, and it's fun stuff. And when I'm working on not to say that I'm like, you know, going to go angsty just because I'm writing wayward or whatever, but there's definitely, you kind of get yourself into a headspace and you think, okay, it, you know, all of storytelling and all of communication is about empathy. So it's like, I need to empathize with my characters or I need to understand what, you know, what this story is as I'm working on it. So it's just getting yourself into a mode, I think. Yeah. I don't know, that's a little more zen than I maybe intended, but that's kind of the, the way I look at it is I'm like, okay, this is the project. This is what I need to sort of remind myself about. And I'll read over the the stuff that I've written or I'll read over the, the notes and just sort of try and get myself back into the headspace on a particular project as much as I can before I push ahead with the next chapter. Do you, um, because each book has its own, I mean, you're, you're with different publishers and you've got, you're working with different artists. Right. Um, and I'm sure every artist has his or her own way that he or she prefers to work as well. I mean, do you have a preferred sure. way to work with that artist? And do you, have you ever, you know, have you ever, because you're, because you're doing so many things, different types of books at the same time have you have you ever run into trouble like that because you know maybe maybe one artist really wants to have be involved with with the script or vice versa whereas another one is a little bit more they'll just react to whatever you write well i think every you know every creative collaboration is a bit like it's almost like speed dating or you know you need to sort of figure out how they work or the types of things that they like you know the first few scripts in any project is always the most difficult because you're all Everyone's trying to sort of feel out the project or get a hang on what they're doing with it. And so, you know, I'll tend to be really verbose early in a project because I'm trying to set, you know, set up all the the designs of the characters or, or impart as much information as I can to the artist so that they are on the same page as me as much as possible, you know, in terms of uh, the characters or in terms of the environments or, you know, the locations that we're going to be using over and over again in a story. Um, and then as I get feedback or as I start to see how they work and how they react to that, then I, you know, try and throttle what I do to, to, you know, make it go as smoothly as possible. So if I notice that there's certain types of things that they seem to really get excited about, well, then I want to play to their strengths, you know, or if there's a particular thing that seems to confuse them or a way that I write or a thing that I describe that I'm not doing a good job. Okay. You know, maybe they're more visual. I need to include more, you know, visual reference rather than, complex description or you know just stuff like that i think just being cognizant of that it's not just being a writer particularly on a comic is not just you know my way or the highway it's about you know they're going to be bringing themselves into it and they're going to be bringing their visuals into the process and i want them to feel like they're a part of it i'm not just giving marching orders and so you know paying attention to what they respond to or what they like or you know what's working well and then trying to exemplify that in a project moving forward. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, I, I can't speak for each editor, but quite a few editors seem, you know, pleased about is the fact that I'm not just, oh, here's my script. Good luck with that. You know what I mean? Like, like I want to interact. I want to be a part of the process. Um, you know, my background's in art, and I teach uh, animation and art-related courses at an art college here in Toronto. And so, you know, part of it is about learning and teaching and communicating and all that kind of stuff. And so I want to be involved. I want the artist to have a good time because that's going to come through in the quality on the page. So, you know, it's it, it's like not about my ego. It's about let's make the best book that we can. And that's true whether it's a kid's book or whether it's a mature book or a commercial book or my own original stories. My name's on it and their name's on it. And we all want to be proud of the thing at the end of the day. So let's all, you know, be a part of that process and communicate with each other to do that. All right. So uh, you're, you're talking about working with the creative team. So typically uh, when it comes to Figment, you're working with Disney. Typically Disney likes to really protect their brand. So were they a big part in when you were creating that or did they give you a lot of, did they give you a lot of uh, freedom with the story or how did, how did it work with them? Well, the, the Figment project was really uh, interesting, and, and honestly, you know, I've done work with other, you know, work for hire and commercial companies before, uh, and so I kind of went into it a little, obviously, intimidated. You know, it's Disney; it's like the biggest <laughs> entertainment company in the world, 
And so you want to be, you know, you want to do well, obviously, and you want to make sure that you're on your, you know, doing the best work you can. But I kind of was expecting when I came in that I was going to be given, um, you know, uh, the direction they wanted, and then I would just follow that as closely as possible. I, I kind of, when I was first asked about the project, I was interested, but I was sort of readying myself for the fact that I wasn't going to be able to put much of myself into it. And I, it didn't make me upset. You just, it's what you expect, you know, kind of going in. The bigger the corporation or the bigger the, the media property, the less individuality you're generally going to have with it. And you kind of got to steal your nerves for that sort of stuff. <laughs> so I went in like, okay, this isn't about me. This is about you know Disney getting what Disney wants, and I get the benefit of being involved with it. And I'm going to make something that you know I'm proud of, obviously, but but I'm going to have to step back. And and so I was all ready for that. And then when we started working on it, I realized a couple of things. First off, they didn't have as much material ready to go. Like they weren't ready to tell me. They were very open to me pitching something, which surprised me right from the get go. And then when I pitched it, um, they I pitched sort of three different, uh, very different directions for the book, potential directions, expecting that they would pick one and then we would go through a really heavy revision process on it. And they picked um, the idea about showing the origin of Dreamfinder, and then they just said, that's the one we want, do it the way that you pitched it pretty much, with just minimal revision. And I just wasn't expecting that. Like that was just not, that wasn't even an option sort of mentally for me. Um, so as it started going through, I kept almost like double thinking myself, like, well, I'm, I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like they were going to be like, oh yeah, yeah, do it your way. And then at some point the heavy revisions were going to come in or at some point the heavy corporate hand was going to take control. And I kept expecting it over and over and over again. And then it never came, you know, and that was what was really mind blowing to me was the journey into imagination. Uh, I think the probably one of the only, you know, notes we got early on was this, we were discussing whether the title would be journey into imagination or it would be figment. And they said, you know, in the end they decided that they wanted figment. And I was like, so except for the title, like the vast majority of the thing is pretty much exactly the way I pitched it. And that's mind blowing to me. Um, you know, that, so. that is pretty crazy, because, I mean, <laughs> even when you work with other publishers, I mean, whether it's DC, Marvel, Image, oh, yeah. or, or the, the smaller companies, they're still going to give you notes throughout the process, so you would expect Oh, and they Disney. gave me notes. Yeah, they gave me notes, but, like, most of those notes were, this is great, and I was just like, <laughs> and, I, and I'm not trying to be cocky, like, I wasn't, I certainly was not um, against making revisions if they needed stuff, and I certainly was not expecting that my you know, words were going to be sacrosanct by any means. I went in very much like, I know how this stuff goes. And every time we'd get the, the feedback, even my editor, uh, Bill Roseman at Marvel, he, the first script in particular, he phoned me, uh, rather than just sending me an email, he phoned me and he goes, oh, I got the notes. And I was like, oh, geez, he's calling. <laughs> I better get out a notepad, you know, because we're going to be sitting here for an hour going over this stuff and figuring out how to, how to make this work. And he goes, here's the notes. We love it. Are you kidding? Yeah. And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, they, they pretty much, you know, they just wanted to make sure we had some visual reference for a couple of the things you mentioned. And they asked for a couple of clarifications and that was pretty much it. And I was just like, and he goes, everyone at the office is super excited and everyone's really happy. And, you know, uh, this is great. And I was just like, I can't believe this. Like, this just seems bizarre to me everything I know about corporate creative projects. And, um, you know, we, we had very little, you know, I, uh, I would come up with some of the new characters and we came up with the villain for the story. And I sort of said, well, what kind of a villain do you guys want? And they were like, well, you know, what do you think matches your story? And I said, well, this was sort of what I had in mind, but I mean, we're making a Disney villain. Like I expect this is going to be right. an arduous process. And they were like, well, write up a description. I was like, okay. So I wrote the description and then they sent that to the artist to start designing it. And I was like, is that the one we're going with? And they said, well, that's what you want, right? I'm like, well, it's not what I want. What do you guys want? And they said, no, no, we're cool with everything so far. Wow. I was like, okay. You know, so basically uh, this truly, I mean, <laughs> that's not normal by the way. Yeah. That is not how <laughs> things normally go. Basically, once, it, it, This is, yeah.
I was gonna say basically they're just giving you one of their characters and saying, "Hey, you create, you create him, and you take his background." <laughs> yeah, and and that was not what I was expecting, kind of at all. And that's not to say that I, um, you know, I didn't take it for granted. Let's put it that way. I was very, very careful, and we worked very hard to make something good, and and they responded very well. And this is true of every project, though. Once you build up trust, you know, on a project, whether that's commercial or creator owned. You, you know, everything goes a lot smoother. So those first couple issues, you know, were us establishing and saying, this is what we're going to do. And once they realized that we were going to treat it respectfully and that we had, you know, a good story in mind and that the art was going to look good, I think, you know, the Imagineers kind of, they really started to trust us that much more. And so we were able to just kind of dig in and, and make the story ours. And, and, and that's very unusual with a commercial project. You know, we're, we were able to say something that was meaningful to us. Not that I don't want to do that on a commercial project, but you just, you kind of, you get used to sort of being like, okay, this is going to be about heavy duty revisions and, and them getting all their corporate mandates in there. Yeah, or this was or, so different from that. Yeah, or it's like connect the dots. They already know exactly what they want. They just need a name to put on it to actually yeah, do the they work. Do, well, or, yeah, they, they want, you know, someone to fill in the dialogue balloons or something, you know, and right. that's, that's a, that's a valid type of project for commercial stuff. You don't, you know, you just sort of go with it. And that was not the case here at all. They didn't have a, a, a it's not that they didn't have a plan, because that's not true, but they weren't set on one way of doing it. And they were open to me sort of saying, this is how I would approach the material. And then so, they just gave me some broader sort of notation along the way. So what were the other two ideas? Or are you allowed to share them? Um... I, I can't, not really. Yeah. They were very different takes. So, like, because I wasn't sure how beholden they were to following the attraction, one of them was very, very different. And it was almost like in name only. Um, and it wasn't like I wanted to, to go against what was in the, the attraction, but I was just sort of like, I don't know how far off base they want to go. And it's always useful to throw a stake in the ground in a couple different spots just to see if it stirs ideas. Right. And so I sort of said, this thing is more like almost like high fantasy rather than kind of steampunk. And it's sort of out there. But, you know, here's some weird thoughts. We could go this way. And then there was another one where it was like, because it's part, it was part of a line uh, that's called Disney Kingdoms. And the first Disney Kingdoms book was um, called uh, Museum of the Weird. And it had teenagers at the core of it. Um, I wasn't sure if they wanted to do teenagers, like if that was a thing. And so I, my other idea involved other characters and Dreamfinder was almost like the Professor X, like he was sending these kids on a mission kind of thing. Because I thought maybe they wanted teenagers right. you know, potentially in the story. Right. And then they came back and they said, no, 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 we want Dreamfinder as the main character and you know he's going to do the thing and, and that's great. And I was like, okay, you know. That's, that's my preference. So that's fascinating, though, that they wanted to go back to the origin with the Dreamfinder. I mean, he's not in the current version of the attraction. He hasn't been in the park. No, since like 1998, yeah. I think, is when they closed that down. So, right, right, no, totally. Um, and that was a fascinating discussion too, because you know I'm talking to the Imagineers, and you know we're, yeah, I can't really say more than that. <laughs> so okay. you know, it was it was it was useful though, because it was like. You know, clearly they had a lot of love for the character as well and, you know, Figment and, and Dreamfinder. And so we wanted to try to tap into some of that original energy with it. And uh, that was kind of what was interesting. As I started researching more and more and realizing, A, that so many people were fans of the character, both Dreamfinder and Figment, there was a lot of love for that original incarnation of the ride. And so, you know, I wanted to try and channel some of that energy into the story and try and make it you know really work on that level and and be you know joyous and aspirational and you could if you knew the stuff you would enjoy it but if you didn't you could just pick it up and enjoy it on its own as a story and that's always the tough balancing act is you want right. to you know make it new reader friendly but not throw out any of the things that people liked about it um but the one good thing i have to admit though is that we didn't announce it until I was already done writing four out of the five issues. And so uh, the reason why is like, we were all really happy with how it was developing and everything was going, you know, strongly. And the Imagineers were very, very supportive. And I felt really good. 
and we announced it and like my Twitter feed just blew up with Disney fans and I gained probably in that, that first day I must have gained three or four hundred followers and almost all of them were some form of Disney something. Disney, Disney, news Disney sites Twitter Disney. is a is a powerful force. <laughs> oh yeah. And all of a sudden I'd taken this character who had been, you know, really out of the limelight for so long and we said we were gonna do this lavish graphic novel story with them and people lost their minds. And the first little bit was just pure enthusiasm. And then the second part was like fear that we were going to screw it up. Yeah. And then they started asking hundreds of questions and like, <laughs> well, you got to, you know, don't do this and don't do that. And, and I was like, man, if I would have started writing this after the announcement, I would have been so paranoid that I was going <laughs> to break it all. You know, I think I would have, uh, some of the things that I'm most proud of in the book, I don't know if we would have done if I would have been too timid. Because I would have been like, well, what if the fans don't like it, you know? But once yeah. we had done it, once we had written it, it was the right move, you know? It was, it was, it was too far along at that point. It was almost like, well, if they don't like it, I'm, I don't know what to say. It's already, it's already happening, you know? It's like, there's no going it's back. It's just gonna be. Yeah, yeah, you know. At least the Imagineers like it. I know that, you know, we, we're doing it right on that level. So hopefully the fans respond well, and obviously, you know, they did. So it's, uh, it really, really. Um, even now I get people bringing the books up to me and they're always just unbelievably enthusiastic. And I feel very honored to be, uh, to have been a part of it, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, Fig, I mean, Figment is one of those characters that it's, he's a relatively minor character and that, but he's beloved by the people who like him. You know, there's no, there's no middle ground. It's either you don't know who he is or you love him. And so I think that, yeah, no, absolutely that that initial surge of excitement and enthusiasm after it was announced it was just like it, it was i think a lot of it was basically like incredulity that that disney was was taking this character and actually doing something with him and uh well yeah and, and i think there was also this interesting sort of thing where they were like you know we said we were going to do the origin of Dreamfinder, and they were just like you know what the hell are you doing that seems so like it's like zero to you know 60 all in one announcement or <laughs> just like, what is going on and you know uh, one of the most common questions i got asked was you know people were like are you really a fan like are you really a fan of this material or are you just cashing a paycheck and i was just like whoa you know like i i want to do right by you guys and if you look at the type of work that i do on commercial stuff i always go in very heavy in terms of i research and i'm very careful about like i want to bring something new to a story but I don't want to throw out the stuff that exists. I'm not here to, to, to destroy. I'm here to build, you know, and that was very much how I approached, you know, working on, on Figment. Yeah. I mean, it, you can tell just by you know, the little, the little references and call outs that you squeaked in, you know, like they're, I love that, you know, some of the lyrics, when, when he first creates Figment, the, the narration that in that's on that page are actually right. the, lyrics, the lyrics from the song and, and just right, right. other random references, like to the Math Magic Land, you know, it's just little things that people love that stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it, but it wasn't it wasn't filled with those references. I feel like if it was filled with those references, it would sort of be like pandering me, like look, see, I can speak your language. But it was like it was right. just it's just enough just enough reference to 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 make it feel genuine um and yeah so I, and we never wanted to force it i never wanted to feel like man it's not a it's not good unless i can make four references you know like i right. always wanted it to be very very natural with with the rest of the story you know and if it felt like it was enhancing what we were doing rather than just like you said just pandering you know that yeah. was never yeah that was never the goal you know yeah i, I mean i'm not questioning your disney fandom or anything like that but like how aware no, no, you, no. how how aware were you of of the attraction before you started i mean because it like i said this the version that you based this on has not been there since for almost what, 20 years so i'm just wondering well, that was the thing yeah i've been I, I the only time i've been to disney world still to this day is back you know when that still existed so right. that was the only version of the the ride that i knew um you know and so that was really my i was like 12 11 or 12 years old when i went with my with my family and i really liked that ride you know like i, I it's funny i 
you know, my mom was digging through my stuff. She found I had a little, one of the little figurines of pigment and stuff. I didn't even remember that I had. Now it seems extra, you know, ridiculous. Uh, but uh, it, the thing is, though, is that, you know, that was what I was basing stuff on. And that was also the reference material I was getting from Disney. So it was, you know, it was intentional on their part, too, that we were going to use DreamFinder. It wasn't all me saying, let's use DreamFinder. It was very much, I think, an initiative from them as well, where they felt that the character could be, you know, utilized again. And so um, ra rather than doing the, the current version of the, of the attraction. So, yeah. you know, that's not to say, like, I didn't tell them that's what we were going to do. It was part of my pitch, but that was already something that they had in mind as well, you know? So, um, but yeah, I did have some experience with it, but a lot of it was about doing the research and sort of rekindling my knowledge or, or getting a much deeper knowledge of it. And that was where I started to realize the depth of the fandom as well, because you start researching online and you, you, you know, reading people talking about their love of this, you know, attraction and the characters and wishing that something was being done with Dreamfinder. And, you know, I'm working on this thing for four months before the announcement and I'm just reading all these people who are like, oh, they'll never do anything with this. It's so sad, you know, and I'm just like, oh boy, you have no idea <laughs> how, how happy you're going to be in, in a couple months, you know. And it's this weird sort of thing where you're just like, you know this thing is coming and you can't sit and these people are really super passionate and you can't say anything. And you're like, that, oh, we got some good stuff coming down the pipe here, you know. That must be one of the hardest things about working on, you know, commercial projects or, or licensed projects, you know, with, with characters and stories that already have this existing, you know, somewhat rabid fan base. And, you know, you have to keep your mouth shut, you know, <laughs> like, like you're saying, you go online and yeah. you want to just, you want to just be like, you know, cheer up, dude, I'm going to make your life really much brighter in a couple of months. But, but you yeah, can't. absolutely. No, it's really fascinating, you know, and, and people will ask me all the time. I, th I think they get, uh, you know, weird ideas on how sometimes projects happen. Like when you get to a certain point in your career, I think you can just sort of request things, but I'm not, I'm not there if I ever will be, you know? And so it's not like I can just walk in the door and go, Hey, we should do this. You know, Hey, let me write Spider-Man or something like that's not, how this, that's not how this stuff happens, you know? And so you, you know, um, you want to try and be honest with people. You know, the first thing people ask me is they were like, well, are you going to, once the series started doing well, they're like, all right, you know, you should tell them to do more. I'm like, I can't tell them to do anything. You know, I, yeah. I'd, I'd be happy to, but that's not really up to me. You know, that's up to sales and that's up to marketing and that's up to, you know, the Imagineers and, and their future plans or, or whatever else. And so, yeah. you know, we all cross our fingers and, and you make you make it known, you know, you finish a project and everyone sends each other, you know, thank you notes and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's fairly obvious we had a great time with it and it came through in the work and I'd be honored to do more, you know. But that's that's pretty much all you can do. You can't really you can't really force it. You know, yeah. I don't have executive power to make these things happen. And um, I do know that you know they're looking at the uh, the hard, the hardcover collection comes out in May, and they're going right. to look and see how the sales are, and they want to get a sense of. I mean, they're already going to know what the orders are like on it at the book level, but you know they're going to see how the sell through is and and things like that. And I think. Uh, you know, I but I can't speak with any authority. Like I can't say, and then they'll do it if it reaches this sales threshold. Like I have no idea. Right. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, I'm out of that loop. It's almost at this like at this point like you're just you're just another voice in the chorus. Like you might as well just be a fan at this point saying do more because it's they've it's in their court. Yeah, and that's you know, and that's that's fine. That's totally their prerogative, and they know I'm here and they know how to get in touch with me. And it's like great if it does well and the fans really like it. You know, keep talking about it and tweet about it and, and, you know, let Disney know and, you know, buy the books and cool. Like I'm that, but that's how that stuff goes, you know? Yeah. So um, if, we, if we want more, we got to buy it. <laughs> buy the book. Yeah. And I know that sounds, and I, and I, you know, I'm sure Disney will be fine. I'm sure their, their uh, bottom line is they'll be okay this year. I'm sure they'll figure it out, but you know, um, but you know, buy my personal books that has a, a definite immediate change on my, you know, bottom line. But, um, <laughs> it's just yeah you know I, I not to say that i'm displeased about working for disney because uh, i'm not it was wonderful you know it was a great experience and again i think particularly since i went in with the attitude of okay get ready this is going to be revision hell you know and then it yeah. turned out to be just this 
wonderful, wonderful experience. And the Imagineers were just heartfelt. And, you know, some of the former actors who have played Dreamfinder, you know, sent me thank you notes and like, Oh, that's great. Uh, we become, you know, friends on Facebook and we talk about the influence of the character and, you know, that stuff is mind bending to me. Like that doesn't even seem real sometimes, you know, uh, Tony Baxter, the you know head of Imagineering is writing the introduction to the collected edition coming in May. Nice. And uh, that doesn't even seem functionally possible. Like that's just what, yeah. you know, like, yeah. That, uh, and so was, yeah. Someone I, on, on, on YouTube, someone filmed an interview with him that he was doing some event and he was there answering questions and someone asked him about the book and he was raving about it in this, you know, presentation. And I just thought, what? Like that yeah. doesn't, that's <laughs> incredible, you know? Yeah. That was actually, I wanted to ask you about that because you kept talking about the Imagineers and I was wondering if, if he was involved at any level or just, you know, sort of, they sent it to him as a, as a token, you know, kindness, but he, he, sorry, I, I gather he wasn't involved during the creative process at all. Uh, they sent him the initial pitch to get his nod on it, and he sent back a couple really, uh, really uh, well thought out notes where he was just like, he wasn't even, he wasn't, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like he didn't go against anything that I'd written. He just sort of said thematically, here's the most important stuff to remember. So right. it was just like this. It was cheerleading, essentially. He said, this is really good, but never forget this. Never forget this is, you know, this is how Figment looks at the world, or this is the kind of behavior that, that exemplifies, you know, why the ride was made. And, you know, never forget this aspect of, of the culture. And I was like, oh, okay, like, I got to remember that no matter what, because it, it was very poignant and very useful, you know. And then, uh, as far as I knew, he wasn't uh, sending notes directly at that point. So it was, you know, the other Imagineering team was bouncing stuff off him, but there was nothing, you know, there was nothing, obviously no emergency that he felt like he had to step in or anything. So yeah. it and pretty it, much ran through after that. I'm sure it was nice to see that interview with him afterwards raving about it. Oh, yeah, it's just mind-bending, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was really, really cool. You know, and there were other aspects as well. And that's the funny part. Comics are so strange because, you know, to, to your average uh, comic book fan who goes to the shop every week, you know, a kid's book, let alone a book like this, is so off the radar. It's, you know, and most stores didn't even think much of it when it was announced. And then when it started selling out and it started to get really strong reviews and, they started reprinting and then the reprint would sell out and, you know, it, it got pretty crazy. And all of a sudden it, people started to sort of sit up and take notice of this, mm -hmm. this little Disney book. And, you know, that it, it was really amazing um, and kind of odd because it was so different from everything else. And people were just like, when they first announced the book, I had a couple, to be a hundred percent honest with you, I had a couple of friends of mine that in the business who sent me letters that were like, Oh, you shouldn't have done that book. You're going to do this Disney <laughs> thing and you're going to be, stuck doing kids books for the rest of your days like you don't want to get tarred with this brush and i was like what doing things i like yeah right. i don't want to get tarred with that brush that would suck <laughs> you know, like I, I i don't think it's about doing mature books to prove i'm an adult you know what i mean i think doing a book i think in some ways the pigments one of the most important things i've done not just because it's got the disney label on it but because kids are the next generation of, of readers and they're the next generation of fans. And if I, you know, that book inspires them, well then that's the best thing I could do. That's going to last longer than anything else possibly, you know? And so, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have that kind of stigma about, you know, and that's not to say that I'll, I'm doing a mature reader's book right now, like wayward, my new creator owned series is mature and it has swearing and violence in it and the whole 10 yards. It's not like, now I'm Disney for life. I can never do those types of stories, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's what's, it's, it, I 100% agree with you. I mean, my daughter loved Figment. I mean, I read it to her at bedtime. Okay. And, I mean, she's, she's huge into comics. Um, and she just, she really loved it. I mean, she was so excited when she saw the first issue on the, uh, on the shelf, she knew immediately, she's like, it's Figment. And, um, so yeah, she loved that, and I mean, I I love Wayward, and I love a lot of the other stuff that you're doing. So I think it's just thank you that not only the ability to keep all those balls up in the air, but like I said before, like being able to talk to 
so many different audiences and reach those audiences at the same time is is really impressive and and uh oh, thank you well it's all about empathy right all of communication and storytelling is empathy so when when i tell a story i'm trying to tell you something you tell an audience but also something about myself it's like sort of channeling a part of yourself and sort of saying who you know so uh, skull kickers which is my action comedy fantasy series sort of the one that put me on the map that's like me at 11 or 12 years old playing dungeons and dragons with my brother and my older cousins and it's just this bombastic ludicrous thing and it's like i'm speaking to myself at 12 and all right. those guys who play dnd and sit around the table laughing that's who i'm empathizing with that's who i'm sort of channeling when i do that you know and when i do wayward it's like me as that messed up teenager trying to figure out my life and where i fit and who I'm supposed to be. And yeah. Figment is like, you know, this that pure kind of childhood possibility where nothing's set yet in terms of what what's possible in your life because you don't know there's limits because no one ever told you, you know? And that's sort of what I wanted to kind of put into it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, do you, uh, Justin, did you want... No, no, no. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm like fan, fan geeking here. No. <laughs> do you, um, do you have a favorite ride at Disney? I mean, you said you hadn't been there since you were a kid, but is there anything that you remember that, like, I mean, at this point, it might be I, I mean, more, I, more nostalgia yeah, than anything it's all else. Pretty, yeah, it's pretty faded, right? Uh, I remember liking Haunted Mansion a lot. You know, I really liked. Um, the, the journey to imagination. Um, I don't remember a ton of the other ones. I have one of my weirdest Disney memories that has nothing to do with any of the attractions. So my brother was, he's four years older than me. So he would have been, if I was 11, then he would have been, uh, you know, 15 or 14 or 15. And depending on what time of year it was, I can't even remember. But um, so we were, um, my parents were like, you know, we kept saying we wanted to go off and explore on our own, you know, and do stuff. And my parents, you know, it's a vacation. They need probably some time away from us, too. Right. And so they're like, okay, you know, okay, Joe, that's my older brother. Like, you've got to take care of your brother and you two can go off and we'll meet you back here. Here's some money for dinner and you go do your thing for the next three to four hours. And we're going to meet you right here at this stage. And then we're going to watch the, the parade, you know, together tonight. We're trusting you guys. This is your chance to show us that you're grown up and you can take care of yourselves and you can be where you're supposed to be at the time you're supposed to be and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, mom's a little paranoid and dad's like, they're in Disney World. Like, there are a few places safer <laughs> you know, on, on planet Earth. I think it's going to be okay, right? You know? And so we go off and, and we ride a couple rides and we wander. I couldn't even tell you what we did, but it was just like this weird feeling of like, yeah, we... We're doing, we're in Florida and we get to do our own thing and mom and dad are trust us and it was awesome. And then we came back and we stood where we were, we got there like 20 minutes early because we wanted to be so mature. We wanted to prove to them, <laughs> see, we didn't screw it up. Because we, we wanted to be able to go the next day and see, well, you let us go yesterday. Now we're going to run wild, you know. And the funny part was where they asked us to stand, the parade started uh, like they were doing the prep for the parade and it blocked where we were. So we're like, uh, well, we can fit here, but I don't think mom and dad can see us. But we're like, but this is where we told them we were gonna stand. So we're gonna stand right here. And so we stood there and we stood there and then they were late. What we didn't know was they were on the other side of the parade because they're like, it didn't look from their angle like anyone could even stand there. So yeah. they didn't realize we were where we were supposed to be and we couldn't find them because the parade's huge and all the lights and all the crazy stuff. And so we sit there for the whole length of the parade getting more and more wigged out. You know, nowadays you just call someone's cell phone. Right. You, know, you text them or you take a photo. Here's where I am. Come find me. You know, but at the time there was just no way to communicate. And so we end up getting, you know, eventually when the parade ends, we're wandering around and we literally don't know where our parents are and they don't know where we are. Oh, and so no. we wait around for a while. And finally we find one of the security guards and we said, we're kind of like, you know, we lost our parents, you know, and uh, <laughs> so they track them down. And mom and dad had gone back to the to the hotel because they figured, well, the kids know where we're staying. We were staying at the Polynesian. They'll come back here eventually. 
And so we contacted them and it was all good. Mom was freaking out for about an hour. And then, you know, dad's like, they're not dead in a ditch. They're in the Disney park somewhere. They'll find them, you know, whatever. And so that was like one of my biggest memories of Disney was that we, you know, got lost. We lost our parents at Disney World, you know? So it's weird. It has nothing to do with any of the attractions, but that's kind of one of my biggest memories of being at Disney World. I, I love that you're one of your big strongest Power, most powerful memories is getting lost at Disney because it is exactly the same thing for me. Oh yeah. When I was about There's something extra surreal about it, right? Because it's it really, Disney World. You know? It really is. I was about I don't know seven years old, eight years old, and I went to it was at Epcot with my dad, and I remember we were in in the America section back in the World Showcase. We were in front of the uh, looks like Independence Hall, and I had to go to the bathroom. And my dad said, all right, I'll wait right here for you, like out by right near the water. And so I went to the bathroom and I, I came out and I couldn't find him. And I'm standing there and, it's, oh. you know, there's just <laughs> massive crowds of people and I'm starting to freak out. And I'm just standing there like doing total 360s looking for him. And, and you know, I, I'm like on the verge of tears. And then the next thing I know is he's standing right next to me, kind of like laughing. Like he had been watching me the whole time to see how I was supposed to, how I was going to react to being lost. And at the time, at the time I was just so relieved to see him. But like now as an adult, I think about that. And I was like, that was a horrible thing to do to your son. (laughs) Yes. I couldn't imagine doing that to my kids. (laughs) Wow. You know, it's so funny, right? but but no, that's so anyways, that's yeah, that's kind of my Disney memory. It's sort of funny how some of the visceral stuff. My brother, he was gonna take his two girls, you know, when they were quite young, and he did a bunch of research. Joe's like a research hog, and he was researching, and he said that if they're below, I forget what the age it was, something like ten years old or younger, and they ask, they they poll kids and they say, what's the best part of Disney World? And if the kids are too young. Their favorite thing is uh, disproportionately tends to be like the pool at the hotel and stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they don't know how special being at Disney World is. Like they don't, they can't mm-hmm. ratify. They don't know you just spent five hundred dollars a day just to walk in the door. You know, like so. Yeah. My brother was like, "Well, I gotta wait till they're older then, because otherwise, I just they're not gonna have any memories of of the actual stuff. They're just gonna remember." you know, some random innocuous thing, you know, so. Yeah, walking around Disney all day is not special to them, but walking like 10 feet from your your hotel room to a pool, that is just amazing. (laughs) Well, if it's a really good pool, I mean. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But, um, you know, so the the nice thing is, uh, I guess getting back to the storytelling stuff is, um, you know, Bill Roseman, my editor, he's been, he was a champion for me on that series, and he, you know, went to bat and, worked his butt off both with the Disney end of things and with, um, you know, and with Marvel. And so he's, he's always kind of been in my corner, you know, as we were working on that project. And um, so he said to me, you know, flat out that, that, you know, he's hoping that we'll be able to do more stuff. And uh, since then he's gone on, he got a, um, a new position. He's now heading up Marvel's video game division. But, you know, his assistant editor, Mark, is now, you know, in touch with me. And we're just sort of we're talking about other possible projects, but not necessarily Disney. But, you know, we're talking about other things. And so, you know, it's it definitely hasn't. Uh, yeah, it's been a really great experience all around on that. Front, so. so are you going to be writing again for Marvel? Yes, that's all I can say. That's all yeah, you can yeah, say. Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah the, the, the pitch that um, I, on my Twitter today, I was hinting at that I had a pitch that was accepted because you, you know, you never want to, never want to brag too soon. Cause it's like, even when a project gets, you know, they ask you to pitch on it. That doesn't mean you have it. It doesn't mean right. it's happening. It doesn't mean it has a budget. It doesn't mean it's going to get greenlit. It doesn't mean it's going to get released. And you know, you, you have a couple things fall through and you get a little bit paranoid about this stuff. Cause you're like, you don't want to come in, you know, too, too hot and too soon or something, you know, assuming anything. And, um, but yeah, yeah, there's a project that we've, we've been working on and, and I just, um, we had a conference call today and everyone is super gung ho. So I feel pretty good about that. I've got a new Marvel project, uh, coming in the fall. So. Excellent. Well, we will definitely, we will definitely have our, uh, keep our eyes open for that. Um, yeah, I don't know when it's going to be announced exactly sometime over the summer, obviously, especially with the, the way the solicitation cycle works. So comics are, you know, solicited four months ahead, 
in the catalog. And so if it's a September project, then that means, hold on, August, you know, July, geez, man, they'd have to announce it, you know, early June. Yeah. So just around the corner. You got your work cut out for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's <laughs> something else. You just sort of get used to it. I think uh, I know some people who are in regular publishing, like prose publishing, yeah. and they just think comic books are insane because the comic book industry turns it around in five, four to five months, and they turn it around in like a year and a half, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm in regular. Whole... My, my, my day job is in regular publishing, so the, the turnaround times in, in comics just blows my mind. Yeah, and I think it's like, you know, it's just whatever you get used to, right? Like, yeah. I, I can't imagine finishing something and then waiting a year and a half for it to be released. I think it would go insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah there's a, it's, it's a long development process. And, you know, it's, depending on the type of book it is or the, and the publisher, it could, it could definitely range. But, uh, yeah, like a four month from – I mean, it's four months from when you start writing to publication – well, no, so, well, sort of. I mean, it, we, we agreed on the project today, literally today, and it will come out in early to mid-September, you know, so what's that? So, like, five, six months. Yeah, five months, yeah. Yeah, that's unreal. That's... I mean, the, the books are obviously <laughs> a lot smaller, but there's a lot more involved sure. because there's all the art yeah, the that art... has to be done. Yeah, yeah, it's a very, you know, you just sort of get used to it. Yeah. And, and the proofing to release is also pretty breakneck so i'll upload files to the printer and then i'm proofing it and then the book's physically in my hands you know two weeks later kind of thing so yeah you just get used to it <laughs> yeah. it seems very normal to me now you know but yeah uh, i guess yeah you know, it's, it's whatever you deal with yeah exactly that right and, and yeah I, I just want to touch on something i know i know we're getting close to the end here but you mentioned that you also instruct in there in toronto Yes. Um, I, I, I'm just curious. About, I'm a Canadian. I'm on the East Coast in New Brunswick. And, and uh, I was just curious about how you see the comic scene in Canada. Is it something that's, that's surging or is it, is it kind of coming to its own? Or how is it working? Well, I mean, you know, obviously the majority of the stuff we're reading are American comics. I wouldn't say that Canadian-specific comics are, are as much a thing. I mean, there's obviously Canadian creators doing Canadian content. Right. But the, just like our movies and everything else, the majority of the content is, you know, American-driven, whether it's American publishers. But there's a ton of Canadian comic creators, and Toronto in particular has a really robust uh, comic-creating community. And we, a lot of us are, you know, become good friends and see each other at the shows. And we just had the Toronto Comic-Con over the weekend, and it's, you know, it's like a little reunion. Everyone gets to hang out and you know, see what they're up to. And, and, and uh, Becky Cloonan, although she's American, she's living in Montreal right now. Uh, she and Andy Belanger, they had a, uh, a book launch party. And so, you know, get to see friends and hang out and right. talk about what you're doing. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's complaining in there too. But, you know, the, in the grand scheme of things, it's really a positive environment and, and very supportive. Uh, a lot of people ask, they're like, why are there so many Canadians in the business? And I sort of said, well, there's nothing else to work on over this over the winter, and we've got healthcare. So if something goes wrong, you can actually something to fall back on. You know, you're not gonna you're not two paychecks from death. You know, so no offense, but <laughs> well, that's great. I think uh, we've taken quite enough of your time. I know you, clearly you've got a lot of books you're working on, and you've got a lot to do. Um, is there anything that you want to want to plug? You wanted to mention that's coming up? Sure. So um, I've uh, probably the best way to find out what I'm up to is to go to my website. So it's jimzub.com, J-I-M-Z-U-B.com. And that's really like the landing page for all my stuff. So I talk about projects I've got coming out. I also have um, a lot of tutorials so where I talk about the business and I talk about, you know, how to pitch a story, or at least in my experience, how to pitch a story, how to find people to collaborate with, you know, some of the economics and ins and outs of the business that people may not have known about that they might find interesting. Um, just as a, you know, I think it, it sort of ties into my teaching kind of background where I want to try and impart knowledge as much as I can to people and give them a, a heads up on some things about the, the business that I've learned. And, and it's also a way for me to organize my own kind of thoughts on it as well. And so uh, people might find that useful. I'm on Twitter and I'm pretty active there. So if people ask me questions, I try and get back to them as best I can. 
um, you know, I, as honestly as I can. So a lot of people ask me about books I've worked on or books I'm coming up or, you know, show me really cool stuff or, you know, send me uh, fan art and things like that. Like, it's always awesome. So, and it's, and it's really uh, inspiring for me, like it helps recharge my batteries to hear from people that they like what I'm doing. Uh, as you mentioned, this Wednesday, I've got an absolute slew of books coming out. <laughs> Thanks. It's some strange confluence of events. So, um, and I'll be at the Emerald City Comic Con this weekend, one of my absolute favorite shows every year. And we're doing a big launch event for the Wayward First uh, Collection, which is our first five issues. So if people want to see a whole other side to my writing beyond the Disney stuff, they can check that out. And um, Wayward is a bit like Buffy in Japan. So it's, you know, teenagers fighting Japanese mythological monsters. And I hope people really uh, check it out and enjoy it. Um, that's that's pretty good for now. So. All right. Yeah, you mentioned those tutorials. Um, anybody listening, those tutorials are a goldmine of information. I have not read all of them. I've read a lot of them. Um, even if you have no intention of working in comic books or in the comic book publishing, you know, universe, like if you have, if you were involved in anything creatively, any creative pursuit, or if you just are curious at all about how the industry works, it's just a goldmine of information. I definitely recommend checking those well, thank out. You. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Jim, so much for your time. Thanks for blocking uh, blocking some time out for us here at the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Uh, we definitely have enjoyed uh, talking to you. Me more so listening, <laughs> but it's been it's been great meeting you uh, through the airwaves. And thanks everyone thank for you. listening. No, man, my pleasure. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, so everybody, we're going to be back next week uh, with a whole new show. And be sure to check Jim's stuff out. It's uh, it's fantastic. Follow him on Twitter, too. All right, Jamie, you got anything else to say? I got nothing. All right, guys. You can find us on Twitter at the GBB Podcast, and we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash the GBB Show. All right, thank you for listening. We'll check you next week. See ya. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad. The intro music on our show is provided by Key Theory. Go to kitheory.com.